Well, we're going to pray again before we come to God's Word, so let us come before the Lord again. <coughs> Father in heaven, we bless thee that that will be the reality and the experience of every child of God to be face to face with Christ, our precious, our lovely, and our altogether worthy Savior. And, O oh Lord, it is our prayer that that would be the reality and the testimony of each and every one in this meeting house and those watching online. Lord, let us know every individual. Let us know the state of their heart. And we do pray that whatever that need is tonight, Lord, that that need will be met. Come and bless us as we come around thy word once again. We thank thee for help given this morning. But Lord, the help given this morning will not be sufficient for tonight. And so we do humbly ask and pray that thou will come near, especially now as we come to look at thy word. That Lord, thou will speak to my heart, speak to the congregation's heart here tonight as well. And Lord, we pray that thou will close us in now with thyself. I thank thee, Heavenly Father, that my sufficiency, it is not of myself, but it is of God. And I pray that my name would perish and fall to the ground, but that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be uplifted and magnified tonight. Lord, fill my mouth with thy words to the glory and honor of thy name. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Many years ago, the British Prime Minister, William Gladstone, who uh, existed during the 1800s, he was approached one day by a young man and asked, he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate you giving me some minutes of your time in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. You see, I would like to study law. Yes, said the great statesman. But what after that? What will come after you study law? Well, sir, I would like to uh, gain entrance into the bar of England. Okay, and what would you hope to, to do after that? He says, well, sir, I would hope to have a place in Parliament, even in the House of Lords. Yes, young man. What then? Pressed Gladstone. Well, then I hope to, to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, and, but what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and to have an easy life. Yes, young man, and then what? He tenaciously asked this young man. Well, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose then I will die. Yes, young man, and what then? The young man hesitated and then said to him, You know, I never thought anything about that, sir. Then Mr. Gladstone looked at that young man straight in the face with a stern and a steadily look, and he said, Young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. There was a young man, <clears throat> and he came to the prime minister of that day, seeking for wisdom and seeking for advice on how he was to live. And the prime minister pressed him as to what he was planning for the future. And so many of us, we have our plans for the future, what we hope to get out of life and what we want to do 
with our lives. And you know, it's so easy for every one of us to, to cruise through life and to be consumed with what our plans are, what we hope to achieve and to get out of life. That young man, he wanted to have a, a great career and even to, to find his way into the houses of the house of lords and to perhaps have a great reputation for doing that which was honorable for uh, king and country. But he had failed to think about eternity. And so many people fail to think about eternity, fail to plan for eternity. And this illustration that I have shared with you tonight, it brings a question to each and every one of our hearts. What are we living for? What are we living for? You see, the young man, he was clearly caught up in uh, his education and getting a good job and having an influential role perhaps in society and even in government, but he had failed to think about eternity. I wonder, am I speaking to someone tonight and you have all your plans for your life and you have so many things set in place and perhaps things set aside for future days, but you haven't thought about this. Where will you be in eternity? Paul the Apostle in the book of Philippians, he's writing to the church that was at Philippi. And we come to that very well-known and well-loved verse, the verse 21. And listen to what Paul said. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is a verse which very few people, I would say, know little or anything about. I'm sure it's a verse that you've heard quoted many times, perhaps at a funeral service or at a, a service to encourage young people to give their lives for the Lord. You see, this is a verse which, for the Christian, it brings us great joy and great comfort whenever a believing loved one has gone home to glory, because we know that for them it's far better. We know for them that they have gained their eternal reward. But it is also, I would suggest, a challenge to you tonight who are not saved. Because I want to ask you very clearly and very simply, who or what are you living for tonight? Now, there was nothing wrong with that young man wanting an education. There was nothing wrong with him seeking to have a job and to work and to provide for himself. Of course, when we look at the Bible, God has created us to live and to work and to provide for ourselves if we're physically able to do so. But not at the expense of neglecting eternal things, spiritual things. And certainly Paul, in this verse, tells us very clearly who he was living for and what he was looking forward to. And I simply, in my message tonight, want to speak upon living and dying well. Living and dying well. Because there's one sure thing in this life, well, two sure things, taxes and death. And just as you and I are alive at this moment in this meeting house or watching online, the day of our departure from this scene of time is growing ever closer. You and I are closer to eternity than we were this morning. 
And every moment that passes, we are getting closer and closer and closer to breathing our last breath and our soul departing from this scene of time into God's great eternity. And so as we think about living and dying well tonight, I've only two thoughts to leave with you. And that is firstly, Paul's present reality. Paul's present reality. Paul, the apostle here, he was telling the church at Philippi that for him, his life was Jesus Christ. Now, if you turn with me to the book of Acts and the Acts chapter number 9, we will see very clearly for Paul's present reality, it was not always like this. Paul in the book of Acts chapter 9, we read of him there as Saul of Tarsus. And as Saul of Tarsus, he was a Pharisee and a very zealous one at that. And he was on the road to Damascus going with letters from the religious leaders to go and to arrest Christians. Back um, in chapter number uh, 7, he was consenting to the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He was holding the coats for those who stoned that servant of God. But in Acts chapter 9, we see there verse number Verse number, get right the right verse here. Yes, verse number two, or verse number three, sorry. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. For Paul, he was saved by Christ. He was a sinner, just like you and I, born into this world. And even though he was a very devout and zealous religious sinner, he was still lost. You can be religious tonight, but you're still lost. You need to be saved. And there's many people in Northern Ireland tonight, and they are very religious. They attend their church. They pay into their church. They live a very, perhaps, moral and upright life. They may even profess to say their prayers, to read their Bible, but unless they're saved, unless they're born again by the Spirit of the Lord, they're lost. And Paul certainly, or Saul of Tarsus here, was lost. But praise the Lord. The Lord met him on the road to Damascus, and the Lord saved Saul of Tarsus. And notice there what he says in, uh, or what it says there in verse number 15 of Acts chapter 9. And the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Why was Paul saved, or Saul of Tarsus saved that day in the road to Damascus? It was because he was a chosen vessel unto the Lord. And that is why any sinner is saved. It is because God has chosen to save 
that individual. You and I tonight who are believers, that ought to humble us to think that God would reach down and save a sinful wretch like you and I when we have done nothing to deserve God's salvation. And God is well within his rights to pass over each and every one of us. Yet in the gospel, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He saved a sinner like the Saul of Tarsus, and he's able and willing to save a sinner like you tonight if you're not saved. He was saved by Christ because Christ had chosen him before the very foundation of the world, not just to be a Christian and walking with the Lord, but also to be an apostle, to go forth and to serve his Lord and Savior. So there, Paul, he was saved by Christ, but he was also surrendered to Christ. If you look at Acts 9 and verse 6 there, he says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, but he wasn't going anymore to persecute Christians. His life was surrendered to the one whom he now calls Lord. Lord, what will thou have me to do? He wasn't just surrendered to Christ, but he was now serving Christ. And you see, that's the whole purpose of the Lord saving Christians is that they would be saved to serve. I wonder, are you serving the Lord tonight, Christian? Whether in this congregation, are you living for him at your home, at your place of work, at your place of uh, college or university? Are you living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the Lord wants you to live for him and to serve him wherever he has placed you. And here Paul at this moment in Philippians chapter 1. Do you know where he is found? He is found in a prison cell. And he spent much of his Christian life in incarceration for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to ask you, do you think that Paul being found in prison at this time as he was writing to the believers at Philippi, was that the will of God or was that outside the will of God for Paul? Well, I would suggest to you that that was the will of the Lord for Paul. You see, Paul was not guaranteed an easy road. He was stoned at one point and left for dead. And you know, you and I as believers, we're not going to have an easy or carefree Christian journey. Because we are living in a sinful and a fallen world, and the devil will seek to attack and to test your faith, young believer tonight. But don't be discouraged, because we're in good company. If the Apostle Paul faced opposition, faced persecution, faced even incarceration for his love for Jesus Christ, well then, do not be surprised when people will oppose you, people will mock you, people will reject you because of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had come to Philippi on a preaching mission, and it was at the 
during his second missionary journey that this church here was established. Philippi was in modern-day Greece. It was a leading city of Macedonia at that time. It was a Roman colony, and it served as a a military outpost. It was a very important uh, place for commerce and for travelers. And yet that's where Paul went, guided by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, because the Lord had much people in that city to be saved. And he and Timothy, in Acts chapter 16, they got what is known as the Macedonian call to come over and to help the believers there. And so they went. They went to serve the Lord there. And notice there Paul says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. And by that he does not mean that (coughs) Christ was merely first place in his life, but Christ was his life. His very existence was to live for Jesus Christ. And that's certainly a challenge to the preacher's heart and to your heart tonight as well. That little word or that little conjunction there for, it is in relation to what he said in the previous verse, verse number 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, excuse me, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always so now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He lived to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you living to magnify him tonight? Is your life given over to what he would have for you to do? Or are you living for your own will, living to achieve your own goals, your own plans? And remember, there's nothing wrong with having uh, goals and plans, but have you left God out of your plans and your goals for the future? Are you like that rich farmer who was going to pull down his barns and build bigger and take his ease and eat, drink, and be merry because he had so much of of an abundant harvest that he had forgot all about God? And yet God said to him, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. You see, he was living for time. He was living for those things which are temporary, which will one day pass away. And how many are living like that today? Living for things which will one day decay, will pass away. Are you living for those things which are temporal, for money, for fame, for position, for power? Leonard Ravenhill, (coughs) the old English preacher, once said, Are the things you're living for, are they worth Christ dying for? Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Certainly a very challenging question from that preacher. That word magnified there, that Paul says in verse 20, it means to show to be great. And by that he wanted to make an example or to make uh, a statement to, to, to show the Lord Jesus Christ to be great and not himself. Certainly the preacher, he's not there to, pre- to present himself, but he's there to present the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul said in Romans 11, verse 36, For if him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, the first question of the Shorter Catechism asks, what is man's chief end? And I'm sure you all know that answer. Man's chief end is, is to what? Is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, if you're living for your own will and you've forgot all about God, you've set God aside, God is not in your thoughts, well, then you're not living to glorify God. You're living to glorify yourself. And let us all be those that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, as the Savior said in Matthew chapter 6. You know, the apostle John, <clears throat> he said in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase. I must decrease. I wonder, is that your aim, that Christ would increase in your life and that self would decrease? Paul, he walked closely and intimately with the Lord, even though he spent a lot of his Christian life in incarceration. I think of what took place in Acts chapter 16 in the verse number 25, I think it is. Just turn with me there, please, till we notice this. Of course, we know that Paul was in the jail at Philippi at that time. And in Acts chapter 16, him and Silas were in prison. Verse number 25 of Acts chapter 16 says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed, and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. These two apostles were in the innermost part of the prison. Their feet were in stocks, but what were they doing? Were they complaining? No, they weren't. They were rejoicing. They were praying. Why? Because they knew they were in the will of God. And even though, Christian, you may be going through a difficult trial at this present time, or you will have difficult trials to face. The difference is Christ. Christ is able to give you joy and grace and peace, which passeth all understanding to sustain you in your time of trial and in your time of tribulation. Paul says, for me to live as Christ. In other words, Christ is, is all in all. Is Christ your all in all tonight? Is he my all in all? I think of what he said to the believers at Galatia. In that very well-known verse, Galatians chapter 2 and the verse 20. And there he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, whenever Paul was saved that day in the Damascus Road, his soul wasn't just saved, but he was united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, brother or sister, tonight that is true of you and me. 
that day, that hour, perhaps you can't remember the specific date or time. Well, that doesn't matter as long as you can look back to a moment in your life's experience where you were born again by the Spirit of God and you came as a sinner to Jesus Christ and you were saved by His grace. You became a member of Christ. You were united to Him in an inseparable union. Paul's old sinful life was crucified with Christ. But yet he could say, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Again, he was living for Jesus Christ. He wasn't living for himself. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I would say that that verse there is one of my most favorite verses in all of God's Word. Because whenever you think of those last 12 words in that verse, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, what comforting words those are, Christian. You put yourself in there. You are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live, yet not you, but Christ liveth in you. And the life which you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And what a verse that is. What a truth that is, that the Christian is united to Jesus Christ, not just for time, which will one day pass away, but for all of God's eternity. Your place, your position in Jesus Christ will never change. Oh, sinner, do you not want that tonight? Do you not want to have such hope and such assurance and such confidence that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that it's well with your soul for time and for eternity, that you're ready to meet the Lord? And that whenever you take your last breath on this earth, that you know it's well with your soul, you know where you're going you know, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So many people are in this world are living for themselves, seeking to gain what they can from this world, fame and fortune and popularity and prosperity. But yet in eternity, there's nothing to be gained. All of those things which you give your time, your effort and your attention and your, your efforts to, to gain in this life, you'll have to leave them. You'll, all, you'll leave it all behind. <clears throat> a farmer with all those acres, all those cattle, the livestock, all the machinery, you'll have to leave it behind. Somebody else will farm the, farm the land. The person with all the money in the bank, somebody else will spend it for you after you die. All those lovely clothes that you have, somebody else will wear them after you die. Those things will pass away. And while it's, there's nothing wrong with having nice clothes or having money in the bank or having a nice home or any of those things, what about your soul? We're two weeks now into the new year. And perhaps you're still outside of Jesus Christ and God has been merciful to you and brought you safely through 2023. And what have you done? You've still rejected him. You're still in your sin. You're still on that broad road leading you to a lost eternity in hell. 
Oh, that this would be your testimony, that you would stop living for self and start living for Christ, for me to live as Christ. Are you living for him today? Have you asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We've thought firstly there about Paul's present reality, but secondly and quickly, Paul's future reality. Because while he talked of how uh, he was living at that present time, that his life was simply living for Jesus Christ. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He went and preached the gospel. He planted churches. He wrote letters to encourage churches, to rebuke churches, to get churches right before God when sin had entered in, to get that sin dealt with, and that the church would be going forward in a holy living. But now he turns to, to death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, he wasn't living for those temporal things which were going to pass away, but he was living for eternity. He had a burden to see as many men and women one for Jesus Christ, to see as many men and women and boys and girls rescued from the kingdom of darkness, from the clutches of the devil, and to be saved and to be set free. Oh, it is only Jesus Christ that can set the sinner free. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And he spoke here of what was coming after and to die is gain. How could he say that? Well, it is because of what the first part of that verse says. For me to live is Christ. Where is Christ today? Christ is in heaven. Christ came from heaven and stepped out from eternity and into time in humiliation, becoming the God-man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? To go to the cross and to die for the ungodly, like me and like you. He came to seek and to save. He came not into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why he came the first time. He came to save. And this word gain here, in this verse, Paul, he's not talking here about a financial gain or a political gain or any other material benefit which could be achieved or received in this life. Neither is it the act of dying, because this expression in the Greek is to have died, meaning the state after death. And for, for, for the Christian, for Paul here, death was merely the passing from earth to glory. And you know, Christian, you and I have nothing to fear of death. Oh, death is to be feared by those that are not saved because death will take you into a lost eternity in hell if you're not saved. Oh, but for the Christian, death is simply the separation from the body of our soul to be with Christ, to glory. You know, so many have a wrong view about death today. Some think that when you die, that's it. You're, there's annihilation. You cease to exist. 
Some would teach us that there is such a thing as soul sleep. Some uh, Asian religions <clears throat> believe in reincarnation, that you'll come back as some sort of an animal, which is nonsense. And some would even think that whenever you die, you go to purgatory. And yet the Bible does not speak of any one of these things. Scripture, as you and I very well know, only speaks of two eternal destinations, heaven or hell. And what you do with Jesus Christ will determine where you will be in eternity. You see, death is not the end for a person's existence. And I want to encourage you, Christian, if you have lost a loved one recently, and I know some of you have, that your loved one who was saved, for them they have gained eternal life. They are with the Savior. And oh, that's our prayer for you who are not saved tonight, that you would not be living in this life to gain whatever you can, but that you be living for Christ and that you'll gain an eternity. Like the apostle here could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To gain a mansion that's prepared for us by the Savior. Our names written into the Lamb's Book of Life that moment when we came by faith and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his name. If your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, it'll never be erased or removed. You know, so many are trying to gain so much in this world. And Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Well, of course, well, that is an impossibility. But he just threw that question out there. What shall it profit a man or a woman if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know, if that young man that came to William Gladstone did pursue that career, got to the bar of England, became a member of the House of Lords, and uh, had an influential role within the, the life of Britain, and he came to his deathbed and he went out into eternity, he would have gone out into hell because he wasn't saved. He hadn't Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And yet Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 28, and I give unto them his sheep. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. In other words, they'll never be lost in hell for all eternity. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Oh, believer, what a truth that is, to be safe and to be secure in the hand of the Lord. Our motto text for the John Knox this year is Psalm 31, verse 15. My times are in thy hand. Past, present, future, my times are in thy hand. Believer, let that encourage your heart tonight. That God is in control. God knows all that you're going through. And God has not left you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Death will come to each and every one of us. Why? Because we've been born in sin. And that's why Paul said in Romans 6 verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you not want to have eternal life? 
because eternal or eternity will be spent by you and I in heaven if we're saved or in hell if we're not saved. Hell where there's no exits, there's no escape plan. And so, as we've been thinking tonight about living and dying well, you know, so many, they're concerned about their fitness and their diet, and that's good and proper. But don't neglect the matter of your soul. Don't think that by having everything and anything you can have in this earthly life will stand you in good stead in eternity. Yes, God is able to bless us materially and, we, and financially, and we thank God for those, those temporal blessings, but to have the greatest gift of all, eternal life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our prayer for you tonight, if you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that you could say with Paul tonight, for me to live as Christ, even though he was in a prison cell when he wrote this, he was rejoicing because he was living for Christ. For me to live is Christ and his future reality and to die is gain. And whenever the apostle Paul took his last breath on this earth, where did he go? His soul went to be with the Lord. And Christian, that's where we're going. To go to glory. To die is gain. And though if that's not your experience, that's not your reality tonight, I pray that you'll close in with Christ tonight. I cannot save you, but the Lord can. The Lord will if you call upon his name tonight. Thank you for your attention. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight for Jesus' sake. Let's close our meeting in prayer. Loving Father and eternal God, we thank thee for the message of the gospel. And Lord, we simply ask and pray that these words of Philippians 1.21 will be the testimony and the experience of each and every one in the meeting tonight and watching online to live for Jesus Christ and then to die, which will be gain. We thank thee for this, O God, and we do ask and pray that thou will part us now in thy fear and with thy favor and take each and every one of us to our homes in safety. And may every one of us Leave this place saved and ready to meet the Lord. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and remain upon each and every one of us until Jesus calls or comes again. Amen. Amen.